Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome, everyone, today. Welcome to the new Blue Mountain Village Voices podcast. My name is Andrew Sigward. I'm the president of the Blue Mountain Village Association. And I'm really pleased to have Bill Vombalakis join us today, owner of Tholos in Blue Mountain Village. Uh, how are you, Bill? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Andrew? I'm well. So glad to have you with us. You know, before we get started and before I launch into the questions, you know, you were one of the first people that I met when I came to work here some five, six years ago. And I remember sitting in Tholos with you, having, a, I think, a really nice glass of white Greek wine, and you were giving <laughs> me a good sense of the history. But one of the things that you had said to me right up front was how excited you were for me to come to the community and how much you thought that I was going to enjoy living here because there was so much diversity. There was a really emerging and strong LGBTQ community. And, you know, I think you recognize right up front that diversity is really important in a community. And you made me feel really special that first time and made me feel really comfortable about my decision to leave the city and to come work in the South Georgian Bay Area. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, it meant a lot to me at the time. I realized I was the catalyst for all your success up here because I knew <laughs> I knew you would do a great job up here. So it's a pleasure to have you, and I'm glad you made that move. Yeah, no, I did for sure. And uh, yeah. you know, what we're going to talk a little bit about you know the community in a bit. But I wanted to I wanted to start off by you know asking you you know sort of where it all began. Talk to us about how you started in the restaurant business. What was your journey like? It, it's it's a long story. I'm going to keep it very brief, but it was. You know, my Greek culture obviously lends itself to this hospitality thing. And even though my parents were never in the business, in grade 12, we were reading a book about Shoeless Joe Jackson in, mm. in, uh, in English class. And myself and two other uh, classmates that went on to do engineering as well, we started Shoeless Joe's. And that was a restaurant up in the, in the intersection of Oriel Parkway and Eglinton in Toronto. And we were in grade 12, believe it or not. So really, yeah, it was a really crazy thing. And we bought a pizza delight for $15,000 and we converted it to a Shoeless Joe's. And we started that off and Shoeless Joe was the, of course, it was a, he was a baseball player uh, for the Chicago White Sox. That was back in the day, they were fixing the games and that's how we came up with the name. Anyway, (laughs) and and then in grade 13, of course, when we, uh, we all had grade 13 back then, Three of us were off to university. We ended up selling it to the current uh, franchisee who still has the uh, company and has grown up to God, well over 200 stores. That's amazing. And then I, yeah, then I went off to university. I went off to Waterloo and I, I did petroleum engineering. And along the way in my last few years of co-op and you know, leading into work, there was a concept that I started with, uh, which was Brass Taps. And Brass Taps really was a spinoff from Shoeless Joe's. And it was at the time when individual pizzas were coming out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we used to go work out and all share a big pizza, you know, quarter anchovies and this and that. But, you know, finally you can make your own. And that's what Brass Taps um, uh, came about. And we did a few of those stores in Toronto. And while I was working out West, 
on the rigs, we would have some time off and we'd be skiing in Whistler. And Intrawest, uh, of course, had Whistler at the time and Mont Tremblant. There was an announcement made here that they were going to come into Blue Mountain. And that sort of brought the opportunity up for us to, to own a pizza place. And if you know the design of the village today, you know, I was able to see what NGOS was doing. I had a bit of an advantage because I knew what a, a resort village looked like. So when they announced that they were coming to Blue, I had approached them and I said, you know, I want to own the pizza place up here. And I remember, you know, they came to Toronto to see my brass taps operations. But the Firehall Pizza Company, which is now in the village, was pegged to be just a takeout, very much like, like uh, Beaver Tales is today, or the grab-and-go kind of concepts. Uh, and back then in the day, they, we cast it for these, for these locations as the village was being built. And I was the only one out of 20, believe it or not, that actually had proposed that a full sit-down service restaurant be in that location. And uh, we were successful in winning that cast uh, over a series of meetings. And that kind of led to us arriving up here and me getting into the full-fledged restaurant business as a kind of a spinoff and a, and a fallback from retiring in the, uh, in the petroleum industry. So long well, story, but that, that brought you up a lot of years. So de- definitely, definitely can say that you made the right choice. You moved, migrated to the right yeah. sector. And you know, interesting, we have another parallel bill. Prior to my time working in Ontario, I worked out West and I worked for Petro-Canada Retail for a long time. I was more downstream okay. in the, on the retail side of business, but funny how we have these interesting shared experiences. Another thing that's uh, shared is I uh, consumed many a pint at Brass Taps <laughs> on the Danforth when I lived in Toronto. So I have that, that right. shared as well. That's right. Um, but, it, but it's interesting. You're, so you had this, uh, this interest in the food business, but you had this experience in the resort experience and of course as a skier. So like many people who live here now, your interests brought you here and you found a way to blend your lifestyle as well as your entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that's something that the South Georgian Bay Area is, is quite known for. So you were, I guess, uh, you know, like many pioneers along the way, that's, that's something that attracted you to the region. It, it certainly was. I mean, the opportunity presented itself with a, uh, you know, a resort uh, within a two-hour driving radius of the GTA, KW area, and so on, with uh, probably the greatest per capita income of any of the uh, intra-west resorts at the time, and now Altera that runs them as well. The alternative to, to, to Torontonians and people within the GTA was to go over to Ellicottville or drive eight hours you know, into Tromblon and, and the eastern townships of Quebec. So I knew that this resort would, would be an attraction and, and a big, big beacon for this area. So For sure, for sure. So let me ask you a question. You you had a sense a few decades ago of of how it was going what what the direction was for for not only your business but for the destination 20 years on close to how has it played out has it has it met your expectations or what have you learned along the way that maybe surprised you i would say in general the region certainly has and it was more than just the resort itself the region grew along with it i remember reading articles back in the day about what made this a great retirement area and and you know the proximity to toronto you can still maintain your lawyer you can keep your you know your financial advisor maybe a doctor you'd want to move up here and it and it became uh, an area for retirees if i would say and, and not quite retirees it was a four season play 
And unlike Muskoka, where, you know, you, in the winter it shuts down other than, than snowmobiling, the diversity that this area brought to, uh, brought to light is exactly what I had seen. And, you, you know, you look at pandemic aside, you, looked at, you look at the growth of trees in the retirement area, and now you're actually seeing a lot of the people who owned in Muskoka are moving back this way as their grandchildren are taking up skiing and they want to be with their grandchildren. So that whole family uh, play is, uh, is really centered around here. And you're seeing that growth. And I mean, look at the real estate and everything else that's going on here as well. So it's, it's a great area for that. That's for certain. And I think you're right. You're, you're tapping into something there, which is about stage of life and family and how important family is to most people, depending on what part, what part of the life stage they're in. And you really can, uh, from being very young to retired, there's something that you can do here. There's something for you. There's a community. And I think that's one of the big attractors and why it's continued to endure the sort of growth arc for sure. Sure. And I, you know, the other thing that you're seeing here now is you're seeing the sort of the next generation of the multicultural community within the GTA that's now uh, also discovering skiing in the winter season with the growth of Toronto coming northbound you know, the proximity to, to a drive here for even a, a day stay and enjoying the, the, the region, whether it's, it's golf, whether it's skiing or hiking and biking and cycling. And I mean, you can go on and on and on. It's here. And uh, now the area, you're seeing this explosive growth with that community as well, which is, which is great. It's great. That, back to that diversity that we talked about in Toronto. That's right. Yeah. It's uh I think it's a central part about what makes Canada, Canada. And I think that it's a good example of what this region has to offer and, and also learning opportunities for all of us. There's, there's new products, there's new ways of connecting with people and new customers to get to know. So that's always fun. It keeps you on your toes. Absolutely. You know, we, when I first opened up Tholos restaurant, uh, talking about new uh, learning experiences, I mean, uh, you know, not everyone locally up here had a palate for Greek food. And we introduced that cuisine, uh, both locally here, but also to the newcomers in the area that came up from, from uh, some of the, you know, the second generation immigrants that may have not had the opportunity to sample some of that stuff uh, in Toronto, but that cuisine has come up, you know, very favorably up here as well for them. So that's right. Though there's, there's always lessons in the past that we can apply to today. Those are the best guide marks that we can use, right? The best guideposts mm -hmm. for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was it like? I mean, you and your wife, Peggy, I mean, you, you are in business together. What, what's it like to operate a family business? How was that different from maybe any other business ventures that you've been involved in? Well, I think, especially here in this region, it, it, unlike Toronto, I mean, you know, the locals, um, when we first came up here, you had to sort of assimilate into the local community. And the locals wanted to meet you and you, you were kind of, it kind of tied you down a little bit in your business because it was, it was like you were entertaining at home every night. And so it was important to, to get known in the community and be, uh, be welcome in the small town. That was a bit of a hurdle, but at the same time, it, it, it really broadened our, our relationships and friends that we met and our social circle exploded. And as the resort grew, you know, you saw the same faces that you had met in Toronto, where Toronto has such a, a larger draw in the restaurants that you don't necessarily have to be there every night. People don't expect to see you there. Um, whereas in a smaller town, 
it could change. And the resort at the beginning, although it was a regional draw, it was still kind of confined. And, and you know, only today do you see the, the broad reach that it brings from international, regional uh, destinations that, uh, that make it a little bit different and, and probably more mirroring what, you know, we had experienced in Toronto, where you're not going to see every familiar, familiar face as we did at the beginning here right. in the village. It's yeah. interesting though, because I think for listeners who know who you are and know you and Peggy, they, they still see you there working mm-hmm. and welcoming people into your home as hosts, as, as most people often do. So that it seems it's such a tradition and an operating philosophy that has endured for both of you, even though the, the market has changed somewhat and the mix is different, it, it's still important for you to be there. I'm wondering if you could share with us why. It's a little bit of the branding, I would say. Yeah. Um, again, I, I view this business uh, as a as as hosting you at my home. My business is an extension of our home, so we want to make sure that you feel welcome. You know, we we kind of promote that within the organization. It's important for your staff to see you involved. Yeah, I think it elevates their level of service, and you know, it's a reflection of of who we are and the family kind of owner operator family experience that we, we try to deliver to, to our, um, to our patrons. And, uh, you know, it keeps your finger on the pulse. You got the quality of food. We're always sampling. We're Mm -hmm. um, just making people feel comfortable. It is, it is a small, the resort. I feel like the resort belongs to us and it's, uh, and it's beyond just our own establishment. It's just the, the experience within the area. Uh, people often ask me where what they should do. You know, should they be investing up here? And so you're an ambassador of of, of the region, and 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 that's kind of fun. It is fun, and, and you know, I I, t- I take a lot of pleasure in that myself. I love having that knowledge to share with people when I'm in the village, and someone asks me about a day trip they can do or or a special place to go visit. I love having those recommendations, learning a little bit about the visitor, and then you know, curating a, a recommendation for them that's going to be really meaningful. I think. The word ambassador, you know, really stands out to me because I feel like that's what so many of us are and what we do every day is to welcome people and to make sure they have a good experience. On that note, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit about the impacts of COVID-19 in a bit. You know, one of the things that we've learned over this past year is just how important leadership is. It's never been more important than ever, not only in terms of leading a team, but also making tough decisions, you know, really understanding what's going on and, and taking some bold moves. So I'm wondering if you can share with us sort of, you know, what has been your leadership style over the years in, in building your business? How, how what, what does leadership mean to you? That's a great question. And I could tell you, I mean, you know, we're, we're actually reaping the benefits of what we did early in the situations uh, as we have right now with COVID. And, you know, my philosophy has always been to, number one, promote from within, delegate to a lot of my staff and, and give them is sort of the, the power to to really administer their own little departments, whether it's the kitchen or front of house or back of the bar, and and really be open uh, to their suggestions. I mean, a lot of your staff are uh, what I call where you know the rubber meets the road, and these are the people who touch and speak to the guests as as much as I try to get involved. You know, there's many times where you you're not there, so you're going to miss it. So I, I think it was important to delegate early, although at the start of a business, you want to be involved yourself heavily. And, and I find a lot of business owners are reluctant to 
to let go of the reins a bit. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was, that would have been a fault had we gone down that road at the beginning, because now I've, I have delegated to the, to the managers, the supervisors, and it's translated to, uh, you know, scenarios where we're, we're, we're tweaking some cost cutting and they've come up with suggestions about what we should be doing, tweaking menus, um, you know, turns of tables, you know, keeping margin healthy items on the menu versus lost leaders. Try to uh, try to have a little greater turnover to get the the return, you know, and even down to closing the operation. I hate to say it. I mean, you got to shut down when you're losing money, and you know your your plan in your head is not really transpiring to what you really envision. And some of these recommendations came from staff, and right. and it was important. And and it was I think it's a great learning experience for them. It allows them to growth to grow and and it maintains some loyalty. Uh, for them, and 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 then they become part of that family, and 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 you know you're not going to lose your staff that way. You have to. They they feel like you're part of your family, and I think that's very key in 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 leading that way. For sure, yeah. It's it's all about engagement and going to work and knowing that what you do or say or the input yeah. you provide will actually matter. And sometimes it's just being listened to, and to to know that someone is hearing you when it matters most. You know, that's, Absolutely. I think those are yep. always the, the, that's where the, the magic happens for sure. Mm -hmm. Has that philosophy always been with you or has it evolved? Have you had any, you know, tough lessons learned along the way? Yeah, no, I think it's evolved. I think it comes with uh, my own maturity and experience. Like, like I said, you know, at the beginning, any, any uh, entrepreneur that does a startup business, you try to keep your cards close to your, to your heart. And you think that you're the only one that knows how to do it right. And and I think that's a mistake. I, I believe it's a team effort, as we always hear that word team, and it is important to teach to your staff. Promoting from within is also very important, um, which allows everybody to have some growth opportunity. And yeah, I think I've evolved into it. You know, it's a, it's a tough call to let your little baby and mm -hmm. open up the reins. And, and, but, I, but yeah, I think I've evolved into it and you grow with, with maturity and that comes with it. So. Course. It's been successful. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's an evolution, isn't it? It certainly is. One of the things that we've been talking a lot about uh, the last number of months, you know, as a, a group of partners in the village and regionally with other partners, as well as uh, levels of local, provincial, federal government, we've talked a lot about sharing knowledge and information. And I think for entrepreneurs, sometimes it can be very overwhelming because you, you can feel like, and it's easy to feel like you're, you're all on your own. How have you reached out to others to get support or ideas? You know, what, how do you do that? And do you feel there are enough networks for entrepreneurs to do that? Oh my God, here is a wealth of, of, of networks um, and a lot of experienced people um, who, are, uh, who are really uh, you know, early retirees, I should say who reluctantly found themselves in this situation today where they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're open to, to get involved and offer you a lot of experience that they have gained. Uh, you know, we, we talked about this with, with Gord Canning a few years ago when, when, you know, he was able to identify with us the need for, you know, culinary management, uh, a culinary, I'm speaking for the restaurant business because I'm in it, but, yep. you know, we had a large need for a culinary school here. And I, I was able to uh, chat with Gord and he went out to Humber College, answered that need by bringing a culinary school locally here. 
we still have our challenges. There's still a lot of growth opportunity to enhance that to a, a greater level. But that's one example where, you know, here's a professional ex-CEO of the resort who identified our need because he shared the same need and used his contacts and ties to go out and get that as well. I mean, you know, municipally, of course, uh, attainable housing is another challenge that we have, as, as you well know, because you're well involved in it. And we have a lot of expertise here from the developers who do some, you know, old age homes uh, locally here who are willing to share their expertise. And um, um, Thomas Vincent comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know him very well. I sure do. And so, so there's, there's many Thomas Vincents here that are, again, I, I find this area is that we all take great pride in it and we want to showcase this area and we want to make sure that it's it's a stellar location and it's one of those areas that just grows on you and you know you find a way to reach deep and help and there's a wealth of that locally here so for sure yeah i find uh, yeah everybody wants to pitch in and everyone wants to lend a hand and i i you know, I think one of the things that I've learned, one of the hard lessons I've learned, and I, I don't know if it comes from my, you know, years of experience. I don't know if it's an association, you know, industry association shortcoming, but sometimes it can be really hard to open up and go out to these experts who are all around you and say to them, you know, I have this problem. I haven't quite figured this out yet. There's a challenge. There are big risks. You know, it, you have to open yourself up in order to really engage those people all around you. So I think that's that's been one of the lessons that I've learned. And that's one of the mm-hmm. pieces of advice I provide a lot of people is don't be shy to open up with your, with your problems, with uh, what might not be working, and show some vulnerability. And what you'll find is that the community will, will race to help you. I think particularly newcomers to the region, it takes a little bit of time to feel like you're at a safe place where you can do that. And then once you realize yeah. that, then you're asking everyone and everyone's coming out. But it does no, take some time to, to I think, yeah. maybe lose a little bit of the culture from the city that, that allows you to sort of open up a bit. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I, I agree. And I think, you know, coming from a, a big city, you don't have, um, you don't get that. I mean, you know, you, you don't get that camaraderie and, and it just, you know, you're kind of in your little cocoon and you're afraid, For but sure. here you don't have to be that. Yeah, That's true. And I guess you really, you also have to be out there because it's part of, that's part of networking your business and, you know, you're, you're trading with people all the time. So you have a different type of relationship. Absolutely. That's very insightful. I want to ask you a little bit about just the culinary scene in general. Where do you go for your culinary inspiration? What, where do you go to get ideas about food? 
Well, I used to go to the States a lot. And mm -hmm. now with the closed borders, that's kind of changed. It's really primarily through my travels, you know, different areas of the world that I, that, that I have traveled to. And I currently, I still like the West Coast of uh, the United States and California. We're often there. There's some great concepts that come out of that region. And, and I think, you know, you look at the similarities of California and, and LA and Toronto, San Francisco, again, it's the diversity of cultures that really nourishes all that. So, uh, you know, I know there's a new restaurant coming in in the village. Mother Tongue with uh, Bruce Turner and Renee. That's right. And, and what a great addition. I mean, certainly answering the call for the diverse expansion of the village, you, you know, and, and, and I could see they probably have a similar inspiration to me. I mean, you know, you, you go, you got to have to watch the trends. You know, you look at, you can't reinvent a brand new wheel, but you can certainly change some, some things and tweak it and bring these concepts uh, to fruition. And, and that's really been my, just through travel and, and my own interest. I love food. So I've always, mm. and I'm not afraid to try uh, a diverse, uh, you know, dish anywhere. So that, that's you know, led to a lot of my well, I guess you, kind of, you have to be right. You have to have an open mm. mind and an open palate in order to create that every day in your, in your business. Yeah. For sure. And, and I have to go out because very few people want to invite me to their house. They're afraid to feed a restaurateur. You know, they say, <laughs> how do you feed you guys? Like, you know, they're always afraid that they're going to mess something up. And usually I have great dishes at my friend's home. So please oh, keep me, keep me invited. <laughs> yeah. You heard it's it here, funny. everyone. Bill needs an invite to dinner. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you've talked about a couple of trends that you've, that you've kind of observed and then cultivated. So you talked about that personalization with the pizza business and in the early days, and you sort of, you know, found a solution for that. And you're talking a lot about building your business here and being accommodating to families. And I think you, you just you just touched on another one, and that is people's exploration with food and cooking on their own. And, you know, I'm curious for, from your perspective, do you see that trend sticking post-pandemic? Do you think people are uh, are comfortable enough with, with preparing their own food? Or will they still have that need for that restaurant going forward? Well, that's a double-loaded question because <laughs> I, I could tell you, if there's any great thing about this pandemic is that my wife learned to cook. Peggy never cooked. I'll, I'll give you a great story. We hosted, I was hosting my staff one, one, um, one summer for a barbecue and a cook-off here at my home. And of course, you know, your, your chefs always want to be the lead on the, on the food side. And, you know, so we had this roast that we were doing, blah, blah, blah. And they opened up Peggy's oven to put it in the oven to cook it. And, the owner's manuals are still in there and they're going, Oh my God, you, you know, you haven't even cooked this thing yet. So um, that sounds so, familiar to me. Oh, there you go. So, so, you know, I, I think the pandemic has brought on a new experimental Avenue for, for people who like to cook at home and never did before. So, you know, the internet, we're always on the internet, getting up some recipes and, and experimenting and cooking up things. But certainly the yearning to go back out. And, you know, a, a dining experience outside of your home is, is also a social event. I mean, we can, we, you know, you, you go out with your friends and you can eat anywhere. It's not you can have them at home. And it's just nice to go out to an environment outside of your home. And I, to answer your question, I don't think that'll ever go away. The humans are social animals and we need that interaction with other, uh, other friends and family members and children. And it gives you a time where you can 
not worry about prepping your food or washing the dishes. You go out and you just enjoy a beautiful dinner. And uh, that's never going to go away. I, I mean, we've been, you know, we've seen, we've seen this before. I started when, when the GST came in and everybody, you know, I thought, oh my God, uh, it came in in January. And I remember my very first brass taps, we, we opened up in November. So I thought it was over. I thought it was game over for us. And that lasted for about two months. SARS was the same thing. No one was ever going to go out again. Um, so we'll get through this. It's, it's just another hurdle along the course of the time on earth. And that's, that's the right. way I see it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that, you know, that it's, it's reassuring because nothing ever happens in a straight linear line. You always have peaks and valleys and it's yeah. about how you what you learn from those those valleys and and situations like this that that take you to the next level and i i agree with you i think if anything what we're learning as consumers about food and through you know the internet and online and television programming is i think we're appreciating the complexities we're appreciating how much work is involved and at the same time we are missing that social connection so much so when the time comes yeah. for us to be able to return to what we love, I, I think what you're going to see is a motivated consumer. And I think a consumer that values the investment in a good night out and a good meal yeah. and, and how important that is. So that, that's my yeah, take on yeah, it. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, the, the one of the spinoffs that'll come off this is that I often look at the industry in the US, the, the, the hospitality industry, and and I look at the professional level that it's delivered at. Um, no one looks down at a server in mm -hmm. the United States. They're professionals and they're proud to be a server and they do very well. And I think what it's going to do to your point is that it's going to elevate our game here because it is going to be a very special night out and people are going to expect the, the better service and the, you know, the good quality of food and the great ingredients that go in to prepare it. You know, but you're going to, going really thinking ahead, I think we're going to see some inflation in that the food category, people are going to have to pay a little bit more for it. And uh, it'll, it'll challenge the operators to deliver a better service all around. Our industry will elevate itself to a different level. And I think it needs right. to be there anyway. Yeah. So I welcome it. That's right. And the consumer wins at the end of the day. They're Absolutely. going to get a better experience. Uh, yeah. The businesses win. Every, everyone grows and learns. And I mean, if, if you can't go through something like this and, and get some takeaways and learn you know, then, then you have to question what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. And I think that's mm -hmm. a good lesson for everyone. And I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of making sure that we find ways to celebrate the teams who work in our industry. You know, tourism is very complex. It's very diverse. You have so many different career paths. And, you know, one of the things that I'm most proud of from this past year was working with all of our frontline team members, whether you were at retail, whether you were in restaurants, yeah. whether you were the maintenance team, whether you were our, our guest services folks. We all had a new job this year, and that was asking people if they needed help, providing information specific to safety protocols, and when required, asking people to comply and coaching them on how to comply with safety. You know, our entire community became partners in health outcomes. And who would have thought two years ago that we would have played such a role in that? So I think it's something that our industry should be very proud of. I don't know that we're talking enough about that at the provincial and federal levels in terms of how our operations, which are regulated and, and controlled, have contributed to the, the positive health outcomes. But I, I know in my soul that that has, because I've seen it happen every day. So 
you know, I'm really motivated to make sure that we celebrate our teams and continue to find ways to recognize that contribution. I think it's really important. And that, that goes across so many different jobs in our sector. I have to agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, you just look at the, the number of guests that we, we uh, you know, we serviced over the summer in the resort and the visitors that we got this year. And it was a big number. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we, we were trying to downplay the thing, but we had no incidents because we were, that's right. uh, the staff elevated themselves, their, the, their level of play. And I think, again, you know, you give somebody a little bit more responsibility outside their normal realm and you'll see them uh, really flourish and blossom. And that, I, and that's what happened. So. Exactly. Yeah. And we Kudos discovered, we, yes. And we discovered yeah. all the skills and talents that, you know, um, maybe weren't aware, we weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. And now it's just going to up our game going forward on, on the health and safety front on so many fronts. So it's, yeah. it's really good. So yeah, I really appreciate your comments about, you know, we've been through similar setbacks and challenges in the past, but I do believe that the restaurant players have really, this is a hard time in the next six Mm -hmm. weeks, you know, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty. If you, if you could give any advice to your fellow uh, restaurateurs and food business, you know, colleagues across the region, what would it be for them to sort of get through the next six to eight weeks? Yeah. You know, again, I think, uh, you know, thank God for some of the, the subsidies that we did get. When I, when I look at what we're all facing today, at the end of the day, you're still responsible for about uh, you know, about 20%, 25% of uh, just to sustain your business. You know, I think it's all about uh, controlling costs at this point in time. Um, and it's no different than any other controller of any other business. When, you know, the when the revenue stream has uh, come to almost a, a seizing level, you have to uh, cut costs and control the costs. You have to be a little bit of a squirrel when the times get good. And, uh, and, and, and put away some funds to sustain, to get through this little period. The challenge is, uh, number one, is, is to control your cost. Number two is to, to keep your staff uh, motivated. I, I, you know, the, the greatest hardship that I face through this is not about me, and it's not about my, my immediate family here. It's really about my staff members. I mean, uh, I think combined between the four restaurants that we operate, we're close to, you know, 150 uh, people that we have on payroll who have have had a hardship through this and and to motivate them and to you know keep them abreast of what's really happening and constant communication and let them know their jobs are there the security you know we've kept all their benefits in place and so on just to to make people they're your best resource i mean your staff is all you have so it's important to and, and most of them are younger and and some of them have young families it's a so it was really important, uh, and it still is important for every operator uh, in our business to to keep them because you can't replace them. And you know, as soon as you open up, we're not going to have. There's not a big learning curve to to take on. You've got to hit the road running. You know, that's a very key component to returning back your operations to where you were. Cut costs right now while you can. Um, you know, we're fortunate that this shutdown as the first one in this area happened during the season where we're typically not, it's not our booming season. So although we had a good momentum there, I'm not saying we're not missing the revenue, but it could have been a lot worse, but you got to get ready. And that's what we're doing. We're getting ready. You know, we're, we're doing our cleanups. We're making sure all our, you know, PPE and all, all our safety protocols are in place. You have to make the guests feel comfortable when they come back. Um, right. I think they'll be opening us up back again with, uh, you know, patios first and then moving indoor. 
but you really have to, you know, and, and train your team again to make sure that when you do open, the guest has to feel comfortable coming back and safe. And I think that's what will we'll get us through all this. I agree. Yeah. It is the most important thing that the guest yeah. feels safe and yeah. that we can be ready because what we've learned throughout this experience is we don't often get enough of a, of a warning or advance notice when we're going to close or when we're going to open. That's right. So yeah. part of why it is really important to be preparing and using this time wisely is that we, we could we could be opening in a few days notice. And in order to do that right, we have to be ready. And I think that's one of the calls to action at the provincial and federal levels is, you know, help us with a bit more certainty, provide us with a little more yeah. runway in terms of knowledge and data points so that we can truly be ready. Because again, I think one of the things that we've achieved very well as a sector is we've been partners in health outcomes. And I think we're going to be called upon. And I think we're well poised to do that going forward. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's yes, um, right. many, many of the hats a business owner wears today. And, uh, but I think, yeah. you know, I, we wouldn't have it any other way, would we? It, it makes it no, fun no, and engaging. And you, have, you have to stay agile now. You have to be able to, you know, be adaptive to what you're going to, what's going to come around the corner. But, you know, one of the comments that I heard from some of my colleagues is, and, and they're absolutely right. Like the last closure we just went through. I mean, I, you'd think that the provincial government would have known they're closing us up on Saturday night, you know, from the previous Monday. I mean, the numbers were skewing that way. Now, as a seasoned restaurateur, you may want to tweak back on your ordering, you know, but suddenly they told us on Thursday night that we're closing Saturday. So, I, I mean, I was uh, on top of things and told my my chefs not to order food because I kind of saw it coming. And if you're short one or two items, you know, if it didn't happen, it's not a big deal. But, you know, we ended up uh, giving, uh, freezing what we could. We gave a lot of our, our food to our staff to take home. Oh, that's great. You know, consume it so we're not throwing things out and, and that worked out. But you have to be agile. You have to be, you have to sort of anticipate the next move and watch the news and stay on top of this. And, and you have to predict what, what's going to happen. So, And agility is, is difficult when there's so much on the line and it's, you're so emotionally impacted. I mean, that's yes. a, a, one of the things that I don't know that we're, we're all as a culture, you know, acknowledging well enough is that this is hard. Sometimes agility requires focus and, you know, being centered and, you know, so, so I wonder for you, you know, thinking about mindfulness and, and readiness, you know, how do you, how do you keep yourself clear to be agile? Is it just in your DNA now, or do you have a, you know, a regular practice that helps you to sort of focus on the things that matter? Yeah, no, I, I think you hit it there. I mean, you got to focus on the things that matter and take the the sort of the immediate things and, and be able to turn those quickly. You're not going to be a full-fledged, complete, polished service when you open. You know that. It, you know, it's going to take, it's like, it's like getting a train moving again. You know, we're going to get it rolling. We don't have to steamroll down the track. And And I think the public understands that. Again, the most important thing is to make sure that train is clean and safe to board. Mm -hmm. And then once you're on the train, client's going to sit back and they're going to enjoy the service. It may not be the best service day one. You're probably understaffed. You may not have a full menu, but people are understanding. And, and it's not like it's only affected our business. It's throughout every industry today. I think everybody will understand. And if we're, you know, we take these steps and, and patience. And I think people are just looking forward to get through this as we all are. And they'll put up with a couple of hurdles here and there. So that's right. So Let's not be too hard on ourselves. Focus on no. what matters the most. And then we can always yeah. build and layer, right? That's, that's exactly. sound exactly. advice. 
to the all the perfectionists uh, out there, you know, it's good advice. So I want to thank yeah. you for that, Bill. Well, I want to thank you so much for, you know, spending some time with us being our inaugural guest. I really wanted to have you as our first guest. You know, you have served as volunteer at the Blue Mountain Village Association for 10 years, really shepherding this organization, being a part of the community, making sure that our small business members were always at the forefront of strategy and helping us, particularly uh, who, who work here at BMVA, really understand what it's like for an operator. And what I really appreciate is that you've, you're always willing to share advice and stories. And um, it's really beneficial. And I know that anyone who's come in contact with you, anyone who's ever reached out and asked for help or asked for ideas, they always walk away feeling like uh, you've been a, a great help. And uh, I think that's what community leadership is all about. So I really want to thank you on behalf of all of our members and all of our visitors, everyone who has enjoyed your, your hospitality as host. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how things uh, progress for you and your businesses o- over the coming you know, season and beyond. Yeah, I look forward to uh, returning back and thank you for having me. And I, I'd like to commend you as well and your staff on an amazing job that's been done. I know the, uh, you know, all the protocols that you put in within the village. It's a, it's a pretty big animal. People don't, people don't understand that, you know, and we've, you've, uh, you've been very instrumental in creating a, a most spectacular uh, resort, probably the, the, the nicest looking resort that I've seen in North America. And, and I commend you for that, but certainly the leadership that you've brought forth with, uh, with, with your organization, the BMVA and, and the staff and how, you know, it's really easy to see when you have very little turnover and, and there's been very little turnover in your organization. It shows that you're, you're great leadership and you treat them well, and it's a great place to work. And uh, thank you for everything that you've done for us in the resort. So appreciate you ha- having you and look forward to many more years with you up here. So thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's as always an honor and it's a privilege to serve. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Enjoy your afternoon. I look forward to seeing you soon. You too. All right. Bye for now. Bye-bye. A production of the Sound Off Media Company. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga, Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.